You're listening to The Digital Pulse, powered by Modia, where we discuss everything you need to know on digital trends and strategy in healthcare. Now let's dive headfirst into this episode. Here's your host, Brian Palmer. On this episode, we get to talk with Gene Hitchcock, who's been a mentor to me since I came to Modia, and she's been a really good friend of mine. Gene's been in healthcare for over three decades, working with everyone from startups to large healthcare systems. She also owns her own marketing and communications firm, and though she's on her way out of traditional healthcare, she still serves on the boards of some of these startups. This is gonna be a really fun one. I hope you enjoy. Well, Gene, it's always um, it's always great to see you and great to talk with you. You know, you've been you've been pretty influential in my very quick career in healthcare so far. So I really, I really, you know, I appreciate everything. I appreciate you taking the time. It's awesome. For those people listening that do not know you or what you've done in healthcare, do you mind starting? We'll just kick this off. Quick introduction. Um, you, the roles that you've played, um, you know, with it within the healthcare space. Sure. Um, so I've been um, in healthcare um, on the provider side and on the vendor side for more than 30 years. And I've had the pleasure and the honor of working with some of the best systems in the United States. Um, I started out at a place called Butterworth Hospital, which became Spectrum, which is now Corwell, the largest health system in Michigan. And that started the journey to Ohio Health, Scripps Health, and MedStar Health. Um, in between, I did a gig for five years at the only healthcare marketing agency at the time in, in Chicago, where I always tell people I earned my PhD in healthcare marketing. <laughs> and then when I left um, MedStar in 2014, I decided to just open up my own firm. It was almost by accident. People started to ask me what I was going to do next, and I hadn't made any firm decisions, and I started doing projects for people. And the next thing you know, I've got, you know, 10 people working for me and we're doing really well. So it's been nine years since we did that. And just recently, I ended my last interim staffing um, assignment at Phoenix Children's. I was there for two and a half years. And so right now I'm uh, serving on startup company boards. I'm um, doing some projects for only existing clients. Um, just trying to find some time to do more kayaking, as you said earlier. There you go. So. There you go. You got you got to find that time. And I know <laughs> they miss you at Phoenix. I know that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you know, with Gene, with with you being in healthcare for thirty plus years, mm-hmm. you've seen a lot of trends and a lot of technologies come and go. And there's probably too many to remember right now. But when you, when you look at where we are in this healthcare landscape in you know, 2023, what do you think that next big thing in healthcare will be or already is? And then also, do you recall any that maybe had some steam but ultimately failed? And, I, and it's kind of a trick question, but, it, but, but you know, throughout those years, I think as you, as you see it coming, I mean, there's got to be some that have, you know, we thought they'd be the next big thing and then they ended up right. Well, I've been thinking about this, and I think the greatest change that occurred was a cultural change that then spawned a lot of technology. So for years, there was a thinking on the healthcare provider side that they needed to be in control of the data and all this information and not the patient. As soon as consumerism started to take hold, and people said, no, those are my test results. I want to see them. Maybe I don't understand them, but I want to see them. 
And then we came away with the patient portals, which provided us with information. And I do remember being in meetings where doctors were saying, I don't want my patients seeing their results before I do. And yeah. I, yeah. it's like, it's their results. What difference does it make? You know? So now we've come a 180, right? Now consumers expect healthcare to be just like banking. I should be able to book online, pay online, communicate with my doctor. I need the ease of the rest of my life in healthcare. And in parts of the country, it's there. And in other parts of the country, it's not. So I think consumerism gave spawn to a lot of different things that were good, you know, yeah. that were really, really good. I think the uh, false hope that hasn't come to fruition, um, I don't know, maybe it was about five or six years ago, Apple said they were going to create an aggregator for all the portals. I have seven portals. I have a portal for my dentists, my doctors, and my veterinarians. They're all separate. They all have separate passwords, and it's a mess. And I don't know why that can't be aggregated into one location. It's me. I'm the single unifying um, factor in that whole thing. But I have seven, and they're all trying to protect me from other people getting my information like they care whether I broke a crown or something, you know. So um, that's something that hasn't come to fruition, I think, should. Yeah. The other thing, and then it kind of goes to your question on three, is healthcare um, should be made up of people who are systems thinkers because we look at the body as a, as a one system. You know, you can't yeah. cut into the body without realizing there's going to be something happening on the other end. You can't introduce a drug without knowing there's going to be a reaction. Yet when it comes to digital technologies, people look at this is a problem, here's a technological solution, and they don't ever consider the side effects of what that's going to do to other systems in the, in the universe because maybe that system was picked by IT who never talked to operations, or maybe operations picked it and they never talked to risk. And so I'm encouraged by the companies that have brought all those people together at the table to do digital governance. And then on top of that, the thing that I would love to see is that the patient experience trumps it all. Um, right now, um, I have three providers who are on Epic. I can connect the accounts. Each of the accounts look so entirely different that there are times when I have to remind myself which health system I'm in. Yeah. If they took it from the perspective of the patient, you know, what we want, what we need, and I'm older, you know, so I don't need to be tricked by the, the branding colors of, of my provider. Just give me my doctor's name and I know who's talking to me, you know. Um, so I think that we've gone from all these silos and people moaning and groaning about who owns something. And in the process, we forgot the patient. You know, we forgot what the patient needs and what that patient experience can be. It can be very frustrating. Um, I have one health system that I do a lot of work with, and I'm a patient there. And I, the first thing I said to them was, do you know what it's like to try to request an appointment with you people? And that's the you thing. Know? Request an appointment. It's not book a report. No, know. no. This was request. Yes, this was exactly. request. Now, I will tell you, they have made huge leaps to the point now where I can book this doctor in three different locations. I have all of his, you know, they've come really far, but they also dedicated two years to the issue of access, which I think is incredible. You know, I mean, that's what people need to focus on the, the 50,000 feet um, part of this. And then Brian, if I could, one of the things that I'm learning as a young student of vendors 
is when when um, when I was the CMO at a health system and I was trying to install a large system that all the patients were going to use, yep. you know, I made sure we kicked the tires and we did all this stuff and we wanted to make it as good as possible. We wanted to make sure the vendor was as good as possible. What I didn't realize is the vendor was just trying to build up its equity to be sold to somebody else and they were going to walk away. Oh, really? So I have become very uh, militant with vendors about um, commitment to patient, commitment to clients because the clients have made commitments to patients. And that piece is still out of whack. That piece is still not working to the benefit of patients. It's working to the benefit of venture capitalists and uh, vendors, but it's not working for patients. Now, yeah. I'm a Pollyanna, you know, so, I'm, I mean, I know that I'm on the other side of the of the equation, but that's just got to stop, you know, um, and, and there are a couple of some classic bonehead decisions people made for financial reasons that just left people stranded, which um, is deplorable, you know, they should be held accountable for that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, we all... We're all very passionate in the mission of healthcare, and so I agree with you on that 100%. Mm-hmm. And see that as well. We talk to other organizations, um, and I know Gene that you know throughout the you know being being a leader in this space. You know, I know, and you mentioned you know you've you've had a seat at the at the table. You've made some of these big decisions over the years, and I think the one thing, and as we talk so much about consumerism and things that are um, you know leading the charge, at least from the patient you know consumer side of things. Have you seen a shift in um, you know, leadership, a shift in stakeholders and just how they're thinking about those digital initiatives? I, mean, I, would, I, would, I would imagine so, but I would love you know, to get your take on that. It's just, it's, it's just hit and miss. You know, um, there are, you could teach a master class on CIOs. You know, sure. I've had a CIO sell, tell me, I want to be a Microsoft shop, regardless of whether the product they're offering is of value at all. But in his mind, the synchronicity of a single vendor is appealing, right? Yeah. Another one will go to the lowest cost possible because that's he feels or she feels that's her job to do. So it it depends on the person who's leading the charge. Now, I just mentioned two CIOs. I can tell you that when different people bring things to the table and they come from everything from operations to clinical to whatever, you usually get a better product because you get a more balanced review of the options that are out there. And it goes back to that comment about systems thinking, you know, Um, we can talk to your clients about how well it works for them, but how well is it working for your patients? And that never, or that rarely gets asked. That rarely gets asked. Um, One of the big things I always ask a vendor um, when I'm working with them is name three clients that you've lost in the last five years and tell me why. And then I'm going to go ask them why, you know. Um, And so I think you got to just be the advocate for your patient and your organization. And you got to push people to think beyond their normal comfort zones. Going for the lowest price, going for a familiar brand, whatever it is, you know. And... um, the other thing, which is harder to do, I, I, will, I will say this. When I was on the provider side, um, it's hard to keep up with all the machinations of vendors in different spaces, whether it's Modia with website development, whether it's CRM companies or whatever. Yes. So people have to get smart. You know, they have to understand what's been happening with these companies um, 
and things like that in order to protect their decisions. And um, I behoove everybody to do that. You know, it's not sending out an RFP. In fact, I discourage RFPs. I think <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> I encourage people to invite the people in to sit down and talk about what's happening with them, what's happening with their company, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, every leadership team has a different personality. It's usually driven by the CEO, um, mm -hmm. but it can also be driven by somebody who people have abdicated the power to because they don't have the, the knowledge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that, no, absolutely. 100%. I think what's, what I'm seeing in just the last few years alone is, a shift where so many people are coming from outside of healthcare to the mm -hmm. um, stakeholder, you know, levels, and they're they're bringing those expectations, mm -hmm. retail or hospitality or you know banking. Yep. Like I said, um, I actually just spoke to a chief marketing officer at an organization. He came from bank, you know, banking, so mm -hmm. he's used to that as well. And so it's yeah, I think it's it's great to see that shift, but also at the same time, yeah, I mean, educating existing existing folks in those seats, I think it's going to be really important to do it as you, as you called out. Um, so, yeah. you know, for a long time, I was, I was hired to do orientations for people who were brought in from out of industry. Oh, really? And they, they were gobsmacked when I started talking to them about, no, we don't know what our products cost. No, we don't, you know, we don't control the doctor, you know, that kind of thing. And I feel for people who, I admire them for taking the chance, right? But there's only been a handful of people that have come from out of industry that have really succeeded in healthcare. And by and large, those were people who came from, who came to large organizations who spent at least six months to a year bringing them on. Yeah. Um, I can tell you there's hundreds of people I've met from Godiva Chocolate to Disney to whatever who just got threw their hands up and said, this makes no sense to me. Really? You know? Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yep. I don't know anything about that, but that's uh, it's, a, it's an interesting take for sure. So now I, I, I love asking these kind of questions because as we talk so much about things that are important to you and your experience, <laughs> we could close our eyes and Gene Hitchcock, runs healthcare in the whole country. So yeah. you, you are you are it, right? You make all the decisions. And I don't know if it's one particular thing or um, just one initiative that you want to start, but what would be that waving the magic wand, you know, one thing that you want to see healthcare fix or that you would do? Well, I'm, um, I have a new perspective on this, Brian, um, in that I've moved to a small beach town in Delaware. And we have a number of health systems that are trying to expand down here because we have a lot of people moving down here. And we can't open the facilities because we can't get doctors down here. We can't get nurses. We can't get anesthesiologists. And it's only going to get worse. So, you know, people can get excited about AI. If I see one more article on AI, I'm going to throw up. It doesn't matter if you have AI, if you don't have a doctor staffing an emergency department, the person's going to die, you know, kind of thing. Um, and and so we have to look at some of these systemic um, issues that are, are hitting healthcare around the country. Um, so if I could change one thing, and it'll never happen, you know, because I, I hey, guess this, this is sort of, you never know. This is it. This is dream. It's sort of the rationale of resources. You know, there shouldn't be a hundred heart transplant programs in the United States. 
Maybe there should be 20. I don't know how many is the right, but that's the highest form of healthcare, the most expensive form of healthcare, right? Look at all these folks coming out of, you know, everyone needs doctors. What incentives do we give people not to move to Northern Virginia? Everyone wants to be in Northern Virginia. It's got the richest insurance-backed population in the United States. But two hours away in Delaware, we can't staff an ED, you know, that kind of thing. So we're going to have these built-in inequities because of staffing shortages. And and it starts with physicians and nurses and PTs and everybody else. And then the other thing of looking at it from more of a regional perspective, you know, how many children's hospitals do you need in a region? Um, When I was in Phoenix, we were growing by leaps and bounds. Phoenix Children's was growing by leaps and bounds. In Chicago, you have five children's hospitals. You know, five children's hospitals. And they're all staffed with specialists and subspecialists. And at what point do you saturate a market? And then you look at other parts of the country, like Native American populations who have no health care. You know, Um, Phoenix Children's was going into the Navajo Nation, and it was like walking into a third world country. I couldn't believe it was Arizona. Wow. People do not have, you know. So I I believe that we need to have a rationalization of of limited resources because it's not endless. And we've got to do something to solve the the staffing, the personnel issue going forward. And if the personnel issue is driven by the expense of education or the insurance reimbursement or whatever, we take a holistic approach to it and figure out why, you know. Um, If I was somebody who had $200,000 in debt coming out of uh, medical school and somebody offered me five years to work on a Navajo reservation and forgive all that debt, I'd do it. But we don't don't do that, you know. So that's the piece that that just makes me cringe sometimes. And then the last thing um, that I really don't understand, I really struggle with, is we have... We live in the best country in the world, and we still have such a high mortality rate for black infants in this country, despite all those resources I mentioned. And why is that? You know, why do we have such a high mortality rate for infants? And so, you know, we're we're so good at so many things, and we read the newspapers when we do the first this, the first that, the first whatever. But if we're not doing the basic blocking and tackling in ERs and infant mortality, you know, are we really advancing healthcare for our population? And that that concerns me. So, I um, I'm going to ask you to not be exiting healthcare, and you should stay <laughs> for a lot longer and help us do those <laughs> things because I love that, and I totally agree with you. And that's so it's always you have you have such a fresh good. Um, outlook on a lot of things. And so I, I really appreciate that. And I would also love to see that stuff get fixed. I, I would how- too. And I, I, you know, I just shake my head sometimes, you know, and, and I, as you know, I do have a reputation with um, some people. Um, sure, sure. My business cards, <laughs> initials are GSD for get stuff done. And so I learned a long time ago that hospitals can become insular places for egos to play out. And you know, my bottom line has always been, okay, doctor, you know, you're not on a billboard. You're not blah, blah, blah. By doing that, are we going to improve patient health at all? Because why are we wasting our time talking about this, you know? 
And I, I just have gotten more and more like that of like, no, this isn't really, this doesn't, your comment doesn't amount to any difference or doesn't improve outcomes in any way. If you come at me from that, then I'm all for you, you know, kind of thing. So um, I, I do believe it's going to be the next generation who's going to have to figure it out because I'm now driving two and a half hours to Washington or Baltimore to get my medical care because there's no one here. We have one hand surgeon in Sussex County. That's, one that's hand in between kayaking sessions as you're. Yeah. Well, you know. Like <laughs> but no, I think. I, I mean, you're right, and this is this is up to this 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 next up and coming generation to do, and I'm I'm hoping that everybody gets you know on board and and aligns on this, and um, we need it. Everybody does. I know. I know. And you know when I I worked particularly at Phoenix Children's. I worked with some of the brightest young physicians who really, really get it, you know? Yeah. And they they just want to take care of the kids. They are so focused on that, and they just want to do what's right. And all this other BS we throw in their way just infuriates them, makes them crazy, you know? We've got to figure out a way to coexist so that we allow them to do what they do best and allow us to do what we do best. Yeah. Because I am so encouraged by the brilliance, the compassion, the commitment of these doctors. Um, and it's all for those little baby kids, you know, so it, it's just so heartwarming to me. No, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Gene, <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking the time. We need, You're we welcome, need, Brian. We need more of you. And you know, I, I, I look forward to the next time that, that you and I can, can connect. So really do appreciate the time. And I will definitely let you get back to whatever awesome stuff you're doing today. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I wish you and Modea all the, the luck in the world. I think you guys are really, really stand-up guys. And Thank you. have we a try. phenomenal product. Phenomenal product. Yeah, I appreciate that. Very kind words. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've just listened to another episode of The Digital Pulse, powered by Modia. Make sure to subscribe so you'll always stay in the know. And be sure to visit modia.com. That's M-O-D-E-A.com for more great content and resources in healthcare. We appreciate you sharing your time with us today. And we look forward to you joining us in the next episode.